blessed out there. Thank you for your giving out on our online uh, platform. We appreciate that. Turn in your Bible tonight to uh, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Uh, did you enjoy? I started Sunday what is going to be an end time focus, an end time teaching on Sunday. Did you get some insight? I'm not going to apologize. I just wound up tight like a, like a brand new spring. And I kind of went off on you, praise God, in a good way. <laughs> and... Uh, but uh, I, I'm just so excited about, the more I think about it, about God tagging me individually to, to live and to be able to see, I believe, the consummation of the church age. You know, every generation has its assignment. And uh, our generation has a wonderful assignment to finish this thing up, I believe, and to usher in the second coming of the Son of Man. Come on, we are so close. You know, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to spend seven years there. We're going to party. We're going to have marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to get judged. We're going to get rewarded. We're going to get our millennial assignments. And then we're going to get a horse assigned to us. And in our glorified body, at the end of that seven years, when the Antichrist and his armies are in the valley of Megiddo, if you're going to go to the Israel trip, you're going to get to see that great valley. We'll get to stand up on Mount Carmel and look up over where this final battle is going to take place where they say they can fit a billion men, soldiers and equipment in this valley if you filled it up. And we are going to be a part of that heavenly army with Jesus as our captain as He returns to the earth. So, I mean, maybe we can make some money doing some horse riding lessons if you need to want to get prepped and ready. But it's going to be awesome. I don't want to fight in that battle. You're not going to have to fight. My God is good. Jesus is going to speak and a great sword comes out of His mouth. He's just going to consume the Antichrist, the false prophets, and all of the adversaries. Man, we're going to have us a time on planet Earth for 1,000 years. That's not my subject tonight, but I'm telling you, come back on Sunday. Bring somebody with you. People that have questions. What is going on in the world today? There's just going to be answers and encouragement for all of us on Sunday morning. Amen. But on Wednesday nights for the last several weeks, I've had it in my heart to go over things that I have been preaching for 20 plus years in different places, primarily here. And uh, I'm just giving the special emphasis that I believe that these, things, th these three things that I trust that we'll spend some time on in coming months uh, are vitally important if we're not going to become a spiritual casualty in these last days. We want to be a part of that remnant church that at the time of the rapture, amen, we are still alive and remaining. We are still holding to our faith. We are spiritually vibrant. We have made it to the end. And we're not just loosely, you know, desperately hanging on, but we are occupying victoriously until the trumpet sounds and we're caught away. Come on, that's the goal, that's the aim, that none of us falls away, that no sheep assigned to Amber and I would be lost. Amen. But we're all going to accomplish our mission on planet earth. What are those three things? Mastering the faith life. Being led skillfully by the Spirit. Amen. And what was the third one? Being in the center of God's will. Refusing to live anywhere else. Anywhere other than the perfect will of God for your life right now. I would say is a dangerous place. You know, uh, you're in Mark 11, stay there, but over in 1 John, the Apostle John talks about that you could get to the place in life where the enemy touches you not. In other words, he'd love to, but he can't. 
He can't steal. He can't kill. He can't destroy because of the way you're living. Amen. And uh, so we've been talking for several weeks now about different aspects of aspects of what it means to walk or live by faith. All over the Old Testament, several references, at least three that I know of, I think, in the New Testament. Uh, the Spirit of God, primarily on the Apostle Paul, says something like, We walk by faith and not by sight. And the person who's mastered the, the faith life has learned again, we're using the word lifestyle so far tonight, they are living their life by faith as a lifestyle and not by what they see and not by what they feel. They're not living according to the circumstances. To live and walk by faith and not by sight, to live by faith simply means I am believing what God's Word says above all else. In the midst, right in the middle of what looks like defeat, right in the middle of what feels like despair, right in the middle of opposition and contradiction and circumstances that don't match the Word, we believe the Word, we hold to the Word, we declare the Word right in the midst of all of that, no matter what it looks like. That's what it means to live and walk by faith. And to master this as a lifestyle will probably take you the rest of your life. Amen. But wherever you are, some of us, you're, you're down the road a ways. Some of you are really new to really living by faith. Um, but it, you just keep going. You just do what Dr. Jacob says. You just stay with it. What we don't want to happen, and that's the title of the last three messages, part one, two, and three, is never overthrown. It is anytime you see a Christian overthrown in some area. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean a sickness wins the day in their life. I don't mean necessarily that they die, but that, that sickness is just on them and it dominates them and it doesn't go away. And they're just managing that or suffering with that illness. They're being overthrown. In other words, parts of their redemption they are not experiencing, namely healing and divine health. Right? Someone that lives in chronic lack and poverty is being overthrown in the financial area because God's made provision for us to have abundance. Amen. Someone that walks around constantly worried, constantly anxious, constantly tormented in their mind and their emotions are being overthrown in the mental realm because God has ordained peace for us. Isaiah 26. So it's just another way to describe someone who's living beneath their redemption. You know, God told Dr. Dufresne in 1998, he was there in Lima, Peru, getting ready to start a meeting. The Spirit of God came into his hotel room and said, 98% of my people live beneath in what I have provided for them, including you, preacher, at that time. Think about that, 98%. Uh, that, that percentage is probably still true today. 98% of God's people living beneath what God has in store for them. So let me quote this to you. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 5 says, But with many of them, that talking about that first generation of Israelites out of Egypt, God was not well pleased. Why was God not well pleased with a people He chose? It says, because they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
So God will get, if you are enduring a defeat, you know, I have before too. He's merciful. He'll comfort you. You know, he'll pat you on the head. You know, he's a wonderful father. But he is not pleased with you being sick. It's not his plan. I don't care what you heard. It's not his plan. It's not his will. Not for a single day. Should we beat ourselves up and be condemned because we missed some or, you know, had to go to the doctor or took some? No, of course not. Of course not. Amen. But the truth is he's pleased when we live in victory, when we live in the light of what he's provided. And he is not pleased to see his children that has a covenant with the you know, creator of the universe to be overthrown by an inferior enemy. There is no sickness, no physical condition that can come even close to matching the power of the stripes that Jesus bore in His back, the blood that was shed, and the redemption that is available in Christ Jesus. If we would just receive it and throw it off and rise up and be the healed. Amen. So anyway, we're learning how to not be overthrown. And just to remind you, remember the Greek word that's translated overthrown is the word catastrophe, where we get that word catastrophe. It's a catastrophe for the believer not to enjoy the fullness of their benefits. So here in Mark 11, we're looking at faith. We want to master the faith life. And right here in these uh, four or five verses, 22 through 26, we have the most concise, clear description of the God kind of faith and how it works than we have in all the Bible. And so here in verse 22, Jesus answering saith unto them, his disciples, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. You know, some people come to me with all kinds of problems. Pastor, what am I going to do? Most of the time I'm just going to say, you have to believe God because I don't have it in my ability to ding you and just turn all this around. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to believe God. That's what you ought to do. The good news is, is that's not just some religious phrase that pastors say. If people will really do that, their situation will turn. Their mountain will move and their life will get better. Hallelujah. Have faith in God is always the answer. Well, my wife left me. Have faith in God. <laughs> well, the doctor says I have six weeks to live. Have the God kind of faith. Well, I, they, they laid me off last week. Well, praise God. Glory to God. Have the God kind of faith. Of faith. My mind is under assault, Pastor. Well, praise God, I just tell you what, fine. There's a scripture that deals with your mind. Have the God kind of faith. And I'm so grateful he didn't just stop there and go, okay, boys, have the God kind of faith. See it. But he taught it. He told us how the God kind of faith works. Amen. And so we began talking last week, if you remember, about the three primary ingredients to the God kind of faith. In other words, you know, we're not just talking about some, some sprinkles on top of the cookie. I mean, you gotta have flour. You gotta have butter or Crisco, right, to make a cookie. You've got to have an egg or two. And chocolate chips, you have to have that. I don't care what else you put in there. Amen, that's just me, anyway. So we're talking about the three, Pastor, I've heard this 25 times. Yeah, but what, it, you need to hear it again. I just had one of my leaders, is so precious, last Wednesday night, or actually Sunday, she was giving the testimony of, of the Wednesday. She said, I just heard this and heard this, and I just had never really 
comprehended that my words were that much of a big deal. But last week I got it. Well, see, she's been with me a long time. See, none of us have arrived. We still have more, more, more that we need to learn and perfect about these things. So, so Jesus said, for verily I say unto you. And remember how I taught you? Really in the Greek what he's saying is, here's the real deal, right? I cross my heart, hope to live. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about this subject. So help me, Father. That's what verily I say unto you means in the Greek. That whosoever shall say unto the mountain. Now the mountain is obviously symbolic of something you want out of your life. It's an obstacle. It's in your way. It's a threat to you. And you need it gone. There's nothing in here when you're operating in the God kind of faith that says whine to God about your mountain. This says whosoever shall say to the mountain. So you have to just learn. I know this is different for us from what we learned in the world. You have to learn the, to master the faith life means I'm going to talk to things. I'm going to talk to circumstances. I'm going to talk to situations. Uh, well, what did Jesus, what brought this statement on? If you go back to verse number 12, it says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree, come on, that's just an inanimate object, right? Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it. Jesus answered and said to it. He didn't say, God, I sure am hungry. Aren't you going to do something about this? God, aren't you going to do something? I'm sure I'm waiting for you to do something about this tumor in my body. Jesus told you what to do to, about that tumor in your body. He already did the heavy lifting. He paid the price legally for you to be healed. In His mind, you are healed. And when something rises up in opposition or contradiction to your covenant, it is up to you to speak to that and move it with your words. So many are caught in the trap of waiting on God to do something about their mountain. And He has told us more than 2,000 years ago, Sweetie, speak to it. It will obey you. I'm going to preach some of this just in honor of my spiritual father's birthday. Up in heaven, it's Dr. Dufresne's birthday today. And he would, he would preach and say, when he mentioned the fig tree, about how that fig tree must have said something to Jesus. It said something to Jesus. Because it says that Jesus answered it. I only answer my wife because she, spe she spoke something to me. So the fig tree spoke to Jesus. And my spiritual father would say, what did the fig tree say? It said, I'm not giving you breakfast, lunch, or dinner. That's what the fig tree said to Jesus. And it says that Jesus spoke to it. Let's all say that together. 
Jesus spoke to it. Whatever it is in your life, or you should speak to it. Amen? So he spoke to that tree and said in verse 14, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it, so he said it out loud. Amen? And they went on about their business. He overturned the money changers. He went into Jerusalem and made some hay, right? You know, created, you know, fixed some stuff, cleaned up the temple a little bit. And then the next day, 24 hours later, they're on their way back that same road, heading back to Bethany. And uh, look at what it says in uh, verse 20. It says, and in the morning as they passed by, Peter, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him. What did Peter remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember yesterday. Jesus spoke to that tree. And they said, Master, that tree you spoke to is dead. It's withered up by the roots. And Jesus said, have the God kind of faith. Are you with me? This is how we're going to live victorious in the last days. When we walk up to opposition... We speak to that opposition, and that mountain moves. Right? We have and we are going as, a, as this last day's generation. We're going to face things no other generation has faced as the world gets ready to accept the Antichrist as their leader. And so you need to get used to speaking to money. Money... Come. I like Pastor uh, Leroy Thompson. He made, a, he made a, a big to-do in the body of Christ. People just wanted to crucify him because he would. I was there. And he would stand up and say, Come on, everybody. Let's make this declaration together. Let's all say, Money cometh to me now. Oh, he'd get us saying that. And you want to talk about make religious devils mad. Money cometh to me now. What do we make currency out of anyway? Paper. What's paper made out of? Trees. Jesus spoke to a tree, right? Oh, come on. It's made out of wood. Debt, go. Bills, I call you paid. This is the lifestyle you must begin to practice. It's going to feel foreign to you if that's not been your lifestyle. You stand over that unpaid stack of bills, say, I call you paid. Every single one of you, I command the money to come, I call you paid. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. I speak to you, test result. I speak to you, blood. I speak to you, blood sugar. I speak to you, heart rate. Amen. Amen. One of the things the Lord is, man, I don't know how I got in this habit. People say something, and I would say, I'll, you know, I've just unconsciously said, I don't remember, or worse, I can't remember. And the Lord is just, I am trying to break this. You all ever care? I don't, I don't want to say, I can't remember. 
I'm not, I'm, I'm, so I'm, man, I'm having a fight with it, but I am going to win this battle because I'm not going to get into my 60s, 70s, and 80s and the fruit of my saying show up if I say every time something comes up and I don't instantly recall the fact, I say I can't remember. Jesus said I'm going to have whatever I say. I say that thousands of times over three decades and then you get there and wonder why you got Alzheimer's or memory problems. So I've begun to say, it's coming to me. It's coming to me. My memory's sharp. I'm quick. I remember facts. I recall things quickly. Are you with me tonight? Hallelujah. So Jesus set our example. He, he encountered a situation. He spoke to it. And 24 hours later, look how fast. You go out and start talking to a bush or a weed just, you got a weed in your yard? Don't kill it with Roundup. Start talking to it. And we'll see how forceful your words are. And I want you to preach the next two Wednesdays if you could kill a weed with your words in 24 hours. But Jesus was so proficient in speaking from His heart what He believed and believing that what His words said would come to pass... That it didn't take long for that, mat, whatever that is, that tree to die from the roots. Now for us, because we're not Jesus and we're not as skilled in these things, we, we may have to say something more than once. Don't get discouraged if you say something once and nothing much happens. Amen? Glory to God. I'm trying to read this verse, but we're already <laughs> preaching good. Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say. The person operating the God kind of faith says something. I mean immediately. I love the Madala's reaction. They weren't crying and whining that I know anything about. And were, how could this happen to me? They had already prayed. They'd already agreed. God's bringing back our truck. Pastor, would you agree? I'm happy to agree with you. Less than eight hours later, the truck is back. See, it matters what you do. It matters what you say when situations show up that you were not expecting. When feelings come that you don't like feeling. So many people, they are so trained and ingrained, their response is, I speak what I feel. I speak what I feel. That, 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 you're going to be a spiritual casualty in these... You have to train... You have to... Mm, Get in front of the mirror. Talk to yourself. Hallelujah. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. That's the key. A lot of people are spouting stuff off. They heard this, they heard a message on confession. And they're going to go spouting something off. Well, it's fine to speak, but you have to believe in your spirit. In your heart. That the words you spoke. See, that's the difference. That's Jesus. He spoke it. He released those words. He fully knew. He expected those words. What he said to that tree would come to pass. And he just went on about his merry way. And all that he did the night before, you know, all the next 24 hours, 
His words that He released to that tree were working on the roots of that tree. See, that's what a lot of times you can blow up and say something. And now those, those words, you left those words, but those words are out there working. And that's, that's what I appreciate. This lady, you know, this leader said, she said, I, I just didn't, I knew I had a problem with my words, but I just had a hard time grasping that my words were really that big of a deal. I appreciated her sincerity and her honesty about that. But Jesus, evidently, he, he said about our words that when we get to heaven, we're going to be judged and held accountable and have to explain for every idle, unproductive, empty, vain, fruitless word we've ever spoken. See, when I heard that, I started repenting. Father, please, and every now and then, I'll just do it as a maintenance. Father, I want you to please forgive me for every idle, empty, unproductive, vain word I've ever spoken. And I love imagining the angels up there erasing what they wrote out of my journal in heaven or deleting that file so that I won't be accountable for it when I get to heaven. So you have to believe what? Believe God? No, He said believe your words. Let's finish the verse. But shall believe that those things that He says will come to pass. That's the key. Brother Wayne, do you believe that what you say is coming to pass? Now, a lot of people, they really do, but what they're speaking is very negative. I can't ever get ahead. And they say that over and over, and they believe that in their heart. I'll never amount to anything. Nothing ever seems to work out for me. And they say that and they believe that. And they say it and then they have that. And then they want to say, see? See, this, this law of saying is working for us all. So what you want to do is to make sure that you have filled your spirit, you have filled your heart with an abundance of wonderful things to say. Where do we get that? From the Word. So much of the time our childhoods didn't put that in us. Our experiences in life, what our peers said, what our schoolmates said, what our teachers said, what our coaches said, even what our parents may have said, put all kinds of limitations and negative, sometimes abusive things in our hearts. And we just are programmed to speak those things. And we are perpetuating this awful cycle of failure and defeat because we're believing what we say in our heart. But you can rewrite different things on your heart. And that's why it's so important to know the Word of God. What does God say about you? What has He said about you? He said that you're accepted in the Beloved. He said that you're complete in Him. He said that you are beloved. Well, I must be something. People might not like me. I've had some people just flat out tell me this week what they thought of me. Well, thank God I, I'm pretty rooted in, I've become pretty rooted in, I just said, well, my father likes me. You may not like it, but I'm just right. It's, it's kind of, I don't know, I've had some moments, but it's not kind of funny. But you might, if you really have 
had chronic problems and I've been sweet, 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 and patient, 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 patient with you and then you come back with me again on that, right now might not be the best time because I've got to lay it on you. It's like something has come upon me. I'm just not messing around anymore. We don't have time to mess around. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so, do you see this principle? You have to say what you want. Right? Now, if it's a mountain, you speak, you, you, I want that gone. Go. Now, the principle worked the same. Some things you want into your life. Like money. You want to put words out there. See, you don't know what kind of traps the enemy has laid for you for tomorrow. So you want to say today, he delivers me from all evil. I'm kept by the power of God. He makes me strong to resist every temptation. Get those words out ahead of your tomorrow. Let the spirit realm hear your faith. Let your future hear your faith. I never said that before. Let your future hear your faith so that when you get to your future, it'll be what you want. See, I've been saying things like, I'm on the increase. I'm the blessed of the Lord. What have you been saying? I might as well just go with this. I don't know what my notes say I'm supposed to do next, but amen. Come on, let's go, let's go over to James here. We're going to have a little fun here for a moment. Let's go to James. Hallelujah. God is so good. And see what we're learning. We're learning how to live as Christians. And, and God has always intended it to be this way for us. The mode, the way He intended and designed a human being to operate is this way. You know, Jesus is called the last Adam. And so really what we see in His life and His example, like when He spoke to the fig tree, He is the prototype for humanity. He succeeded on every front where uh, Adam failed. And so we need to look at Jesus not only as our Savior, but as our example of how to live and conduct ourselves. Amen. He didn't fall apart when Peter said, hey, I need tax money. Oh, where are we going to get? He didn't say that. No doubt he was so in tune with the Father, the gifts of the Spirit are cooperating with him and the word of knowledge kicks in. And he said, there's actually a fish. It's got both your tax money in its mouth. Come on. Hallelujah. And so we're learning that as a life, so where I was going with that, the first Adam, it says that God made Adam and created him a living soul. The Hebrew of that phrase, living soul, means speaking spirit. God made Adam, designed Adam to be a speaking spirit. You've got to get that revelation. Though the fall happened by design, every human being is made by God in His likeness and in His image. And God is a spirit that speaks. And what He speaks comes to pass. 
What are you saying over your children? What are you saying about your, your, uh, your older years? Don't you, aren't you, if you learn this, you'll get really tired of hearing old person jokes. Like I've had some of my parents, God bless them. My daddy's been watching some of these. Love you, Papa. But, you know, about, uh, yeah, I changed your diaper. In a few years, you're going to be changing mine. That's not funny. And I won't. I have a supply. I'll pay someone to change your diaper because I'm not doing that. But, see, it's a, it's a, it's a, a joke. But in the realm, you get this revelation. It's not funny. It's not funny when I don't have anything but two marbles rolling around upstairs, you know, when that day comes. Stop saying that. It's not funny. You're a speaking spirit, and the spirit realm is listening. Angels, demons, every word that comes out of our mouth is authorizing one of those two realms to act. Y'all have prayed good today because I'm saying some things I hadn't planned. They're better than what I would have come up with. Every word that comes out of your mouth is authorizing either the realm of light or the realm of darkness to do something with what you've said. How important are our words? The second primary ingredient, it took me 8.16 to give you this, the second primary ingredient to the God kind of faith is speaking words that you believe in your heart. That's the second. So you can have faith. But you have to take, you have to add that next vital ingredient. You have to use the faith. You have to speak and release that faith out of your spirit, out of your heart, through the mouth. You can't get saved if you don't do this. Romans 10, right? Verse 10 says, For with the heart... Man believe, or it's with, uh, it's verse 7, right around there. With the heart, man believes unto, notice it's with the heart you believe, unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I like the way Pastor Nancy put that. That's the recipe for everything. So she said, for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto Manifestation. What do you want or need manifested? Well, let's say it's your healing. Let's say it's to be filled with the Spirit. Let's say it's you want to live in divine protection. Let's say it's more money. You have to believe what God's Word says on that subject in your heart. And you have to speak that out of your mouth. Listen, your confession always precedes manifestation. You'll never get to manifestation without confession. Well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say out of my mouth, I have something that I can't see or feel. Well, then you can't operate and live by faith then. Seeing is not believing. That's the world's phrase. You come into here in the kingdom, you have to flush that. Flip it over. Believing is seeing, but believing's not enough. 
You have to say what you believe if you ever want to see. You have to say you're saved before the name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you never say it, it'll never be written. Until you say those words out of your mouth, you confess unto salvation. You confess unto healing. I am healed. If you can't ever get to that place, then you're going to have to do without. Unless some gift of the Spirit comes along and does it for you. So the second half-to vital ingredient to the God kind of faith is your confession. You will never possess more than you confess. So not only does confession precede always manifestation, it also sets the landmarks in your life. Your confession sets the limits in your life. Oh gosh, $12 an hour is great, but I can't ever imagine ever making any more than that. You just set the limit. See, you just set the landmark in your life. Your life is never going to rise. I could never live in that neighborhood. I could never drive that kind of car. I could never, want, I could never wear that brand. I could never, stay, I could never travel with Pastor Chris anymore because he stays in these fancy hotels. Well, that's what I used to think until Dr. Dufresne stretched me. Said, come have breakfast with me in a downtown Chicago hotel. I looked at the breakfast menu, and oh my gosh, it was like $26 for one egg and half a glass of juice. And my eyes got real big because I had a poverty mentality back then. And he could see my concern on my eyes while he was reading his paper. And he goes, I got it. <laughs> big spiritual son I was. And then my pride kicked in. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I got it. And then he, then he got firm. No, I said I got it. Okay. I was still trying to digest the price of the room, which wasn't even all that nice, 500 plus a night. Woo! Glory. But see, now I'm on a different level. I'm headed to the executive suites here next. That's where I'm going. You want to know why? That? You'll see me. I'll be staying. You get mad about it. I'm going to be staying in like the presidential suite. Well, because I'm going to keep, right? So what my point was, your confession brings possession. But the way you're going to get to a higher level is to up your confession. Are you with me? How about going from just being healed, needing to be healed every week, to walking in divine health? You're going to have to up your confession. It's going to, anyway, you all with me? Okay, we've got we to do this quick here. James chapter 3, talking about the second vital key is to add your confession to what you believe in your heart. James chapter 3, verse 2, reading from my Amplified, says, For we all, how many of us would that include? <laughs> okay, we're all in this boat together. For we all often stumble and fall and offend in many things. And if anyone does not offend or stumble in speech, did you get that? If anyone does not offend or stumble in speech, that's what he says. Amplified says, never says the wrong things. He is a fully developed character and a perfect man. Able to control his whole body and to curb 
His entire nature. Part of the drunk's problem is they say the wrong things. Part of the sexual addict's problem is they say the wrong things. The drug-addicted one or the constant worrier and griper, they have that problem. They stumble. Why? They say the wrong... They're constantly sick all the time. Why? They say the wrong things. Never seem to have enough. Always leaning on somebody to prop them up financially. See, if we're, this was, again, in honor of my spiritual father, what would Dr. Dufresne say? Your words are tripping you up. Your words are tripping you up. How many of us have had trouble in this area, according to the word? All of us, <laughs> right? So, you know, uh, we're going to let you off from being the confession police tonight because we've all made mistakes. But notice he said the mark of a mature man, the mark of a spiritually fully developed person is the one who's gotten to the place where they do not stumble in speech. They have learned to stop saying the wrong things. We must aspire to become this person. To stop stumbling and tripping over our words. Notice how powerful are our words. It says, a perfect man who's fully developed, who never says the wrong thing in their speech, is able to control his whole body. Oh man, I constantly overeat. I just a pig. I, I just can never lose that weight. You're saying the wrong. Your words are tripping you up. You just need to say, I am disciplined, bless God. I'm the most disciplined person you ever saw. And I'm telling you what, weight just melts off of me. Why can't you say that? I mean, if you just say, I'm a hog, I eat like a hog, I'm just done, I can't discipline you, get me within 50 miles of a bag of chips, that bag of chips is done for. I mean, stop saying that. Stop saying that. Y'all have a chip problem out there, I can see how you're reacting. How can you get control? Of your whole body, guys and gals. Your whole nature. Is this the Bible? That's what the Bible said. By controlling what comes out of your mouth. So you can resist that temptation where you were a failure before if you'll start saying, I'm a victor over that. I'm done with that. I'm through with that. I've had my last cigarette. I hate cigarettes. I am not bound anymore to another. I will never. I am done. And just talk like that. And your body might be screaming, oh my God, I want one really bad. But just say the right thing. Say the right thing. When you feel the wrong thing, say the right thing. And you will be a faith master. Like a ninja. Like a, a magi. What do you call the sensei? I mean, you will be a Black belt faith person, if you can feel the wrong thing, walk the wrong thing, but speak the right thing. God calls that, man, that's a fully, that's a spiritual person right there. Because in this life, all of us are going to feel, you're never going to get so holy that you don't feel wrong things, think wrong things, desire wrong things. 
But when you feel the wrong thing, you say the right thing. And you are able to curb your entire fleshly nature. Amen. Wow, isn't this good? God is so good. Hallelujah. How powerful are our words. Keep looking in verse 3. If we set bits in the horses' mouths to make them obey us, we can turn their whole bodies about with that little metal piece. Fitly placed in that animal's right mouth, we can control that animal's entire body. Hallelujah. Then he says, likewise, look at the ships. Though they are so great and driven by rough winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. See, it's the small thing that's producing the the big victory or the big disaster, the catastrophe. It's all coming from a very small thing. Hallelujah. Wherever the impulse of the helmsman determines, even so, or like this, James is saying, so the tongue is a little member. I mean, compared to my femur, it's very small. Compared to my forearm, it's very small. Right? But even though it's a little member, it can boast great things. See how much wood or how great a forest, a tiny spark can set ablaze? See, this speaks to that thing about, I just never saw that my words were that big a deal. A little spark can burn down 100,000 acres of primo forest if you let that little spark get out of control. Verse number 6 says, The tongue is a fire. Oof, mama's getting away from Pastor Chris. Look at this. We're going to have fire in the house of God tonight. We got... <laughs> the tongue is a what? A fire. The tongue is a fire. How powerful is our tongue? With this as a fire, if I don't want disaster and destruction, I ought, what do I need to do? No, I need to be very careful what I touch with my fire. If you don't want disastrous health, you better not put the fire of a bad confession on your body. The tongue is a fire. The fire can be a light. It can be a warmth. It can prepare food. It can purify. It can refine. It can be a great blessing. But if you do the wrong thing with the fire, and you just let it touch any old thing, you're going to get death. You're going to get devastation. You're going to get destruction. So kids, listen to me. Start prophesying your future now. Like, right, so I'm not new to this thing for my, my oldest child is 19, and I've been saying off and on for 19 years, my children will marry the plan of God for their life. Yeah. Yeah. My children are going to get that right. My children are taught of the Lord. Great shall be the peace of my children. Yeah. I'm not going to put the fire, just the fire, you know, just, you know I, if I put this fire on that. That fire is going to do something to that chair or the carpet or your clothes or your hairspray or something. 
So see, all of you are kind of looking at me funny, but see, right? You want me right now to be mindful and measured and purposeful and wise about what I do with the fire. Never forget this. Your tongue, so many people are loose. Loose. That's what's, that's, they're tripping them up. They're tripping themselves up. They're loose with their lips. And that's why they're sinking their ships. Tongue is a fire. Tongue is a fire. I came prepared tonight. Oh, do I have a little ember? See how great a forest fire? Watch me go. Oh, that's warm. Okay. Nobody call the insurance company. We, we made it. Do you get my point? Your tongue cannot be ignored. It cannot just be turned loose. A fire in a fire pit, in a contained area that is controlled, will keep you alive. Cook your food. Keep you warm. Dry your wet clothes. But a fire uncontrolled will destroy and devastate. Watch your words. Use your words wisely. Really the word confession means in the Bible, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to say the same thing as. To say the same thing as. To say the same thing as who? God. Part of what your Bible contains, it's a recipe for the words you should speak. What should I speak? See, a new believer, when I first learned this, is like, oh my God, I don't have nothing to say. Because I don't know what to say, but I know what I've been saying is bad. And so you have to go through this development as a Christian where you can learn what to say. And the New Testament, old Psalms, is full of the words that you should speak. Words that God has already anointed and infused with power to bring about whatever those words says. So like Psalm 107 verse 20 said, He sent His Word and healed them. So see, in the healing Word is power to heal your body. You get it, right? Philippians 4.19. Right? So we should never ever say, we should never talk lack again. Never. I mean, when lack has climbed up in your bed with you at night, you should not talk lack. Never talk defeat. Did you get something out of that tonight? Let's stand up. Praise God.